The Beaver. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. in the neighborhood, the neighborhood being FM 100.3 KFAN, the radio show being 9 to noon, the host being Paul Allen, the destination, the Brian Heating and Cooling Studios, and the producer is Mad Producer, here for a day of play in Talker Tuesday-like fashion, and we welcome you to the 9 to noon radio show. Big Sports Illustrated piece this week with the Vikings and Eric Kendricks and their case study social justice program. The writer of that fantastic story, Greg Bishop, joins 9 to noon, about 1035, after OGOC. And uh, yours truly is very excited for that. Hopefully you enjoy it. That's the uh, 1035 SI guy. Some Vikings conversation at 940 and 10 with Zimmer's presser and the exciting reality, the national basketball season, the next pro sport in line to push through the pandemic purge, and all that goes with it has arrived tonight. This is your We Have a New Distraction Factor Oh, leader, the fan, and KFAN.com. Doesn't that almost kind of become... Ain't no stopping us now. Ain't no doubt. Ain't no stopping us now at the end of this 2-0-2-0 Christmas on Friday. Some basketball this evening. Timberwolves season debut tomorrow night. The Vikings and Le Bleu Rouge, the New Orleans Saints, Fleur de Lis. This weekend, uh, this Friday, yeah, man, it's all good in the neighborhood. The NBA season begins tonight. Steps return versus KD. Kyrie and the glitzy nets. Then, the champs play Kawhi and the Clips. Mr. Silver starts this baby with a bang. And the pandemic purge bubble pushing through everything purge-related. NBA, longest compound adjective in the history of speaking. 2020, 
ended like this. And now, Cook can just dribble it out. And now, Cook can just dribble it out. And J.R. Smith already shirtless. <laughs> Final seconds here in this NBA season. The respect from those two. And that's it. It's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. How about that? Celebration. Happiness. Pumped in crowd noise. Bubbles. That artificial crowd noise, whether it was generated electronically, sound guy in the back, or maybe it was just they got all the Zoom calls together and just uh, brought it to you live. The bubble was so freaking awesome, but so freaking weird, and maybe even more different now as we commence with the 2020-2021. The Timberwolves are unveiled tomorrow. Games at Target Center, and they host the Detroit Pistons. Absolutely one of the, if not the worst, teams in the NBA. And I ain't talking about us. I'm talking about them. More on that next segment in just a snapshot game, potentially typifying what a long play season can look like. That's the 915. Going to hit on that how next segment. Long play the sucker. In the 11 o'clock with the techie. So, Kevin Durant plays with Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. Jimmy and Tyler Hero are back with the suddenly surging heat. Luca is without the unicorn for a minute. Chris Paul plays for Phoenix. Giroux, Giroux, Holiday, runs the point for the Great Freak. Russ's mercurial game is in the nation's capital, Davy. Tibbs coaches the Knicks, and Boogie looks good after a year off and plays with fellow former Kentucky Wildcat John Wall down Houston way. James Harden still wears the Rockets red for now. Can you imagine this? Wolves fans who attended games or watch games, former coach Tibbs, Tom, Tibb, or Thibodeau? Thibodeau. Can you imagine Tibbs in games? with no fans, as loud as he is. I mean... We're about to get it. Seals at the San Diego Zoo on vocal steroids, man. I mean, we got audio forensics teams trying to figure out exactly what Justin Jefferson said following an incomplete pass. Uh, you don't need any no. uh, any research, any deep diving, any under-the-surface assumptions to know exactly what you're hearing from those boom mics when Tibbs is getting after Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett and mm. Alfred Payton and just that upstart team at MSG with no fans. Ain't no fans in the stands, man. You got the got the San Diego Zoo seals on vocal steroids, otherwise known as our former coach Tibbs. I watched some Pistons-Knicks pre- uh, preseason within the last week and change. Main man was screaming and twitching like it was a big spot March game. I mean, Tibbs is happy to be back. We're happy to have him back. If Steph Curry is back, the Warriors get the respect of a title contender. If Steph Curry is back and in one piece, being baby Steph, 
hitting four and five threes a game, even if he's rolling with Kelly Oubre and James Wiseman, the rookie who didn't play in the preseason, Draymond Green or the skeletal remains thereof, Clay Thompson out. But if Steph's back, the Warriors get the respect of a title contender. It's a Kurachek thing. Steph Curry plays with Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> Remember that? I mean, that is what, for yours truly, significantly elevated an already glowing opinion of the president of basketball operations for the Minnesota Timberwolves, a Gerson Rosas. I mean, if you're able to peddle Andrew Wiggins to anybody, then you can make miracles and dreams happen just out of nowhere. That's the Pobo. That's Gerson Rosas moving Andrew Wiggins to the Golden State Warriors. I hope he got a contract extension after that. So that's a, that all unfurls this evening. This is your, we have a new pro sports distraction in the purge leader, the fan, and KFAN.com. What's on your mind with this NBA season and good morning? Uh, what's on my mind? Good morning, by the way. That's the first thing. Always answer with good morning, please. Um, a lot of teams with new faces. I think it's kind of cool, but it's you know where we still see outside of what's happened with the Westbrook trade to the to the East. Everything still is going through L.A. and it's the same names in terms of the franchises, just different names in terms of the players. Yeah. And so what I'm excited about with this Wolves team as we dig into a more next segment is like this team's going to be is it can they be more entertaining? Can they win more games? But then when you look at it, and if they go ahead and they beat a really bad Pistons team by 25 tomorrow night, you're going to get excited. And it's 71 more games in the bubble, and there's a play-in bit. And so now there's a 9-10 game, and there's an opportunity to win your way into the playoffs, all of those things. But the same teams are still at the top of the mountain. You mentioned Steph. I'm most excited to see guys like him return, and then what happens down in Houston. And all of those things coming together for me in a competitive West and how our team fits within that, um, for me, it's distraction factor. It's how they handle arenas with no fans because they basically tried to put on a Vegas light show with smoke and mirrors and big screens to get these guys moving in the bubble. I want to see how they handle empty arenas, how they handle uh, weird nature of season, how they handle protocol and how they keep everything in line to play 72 games in a full playoff schedule. I mean, it's going to be so freaking weird how a team that dangled itself on the edge of potential calamity early with just the bubble, how they will survive through the course of an entire NBA season outside of it. And while that's exciting, what also very much excites 9 to noon? Yannick, 3 2 Five sacks from Ngakwe. Four picks by Harry. Three sacked by Wilson. Two block punts against Lions. <laughs> That's our annual A Vikings Christmas to the tune of the 12 Days of Christmas. And that's coming up somewhere in the first hour. Probably in the neighborhood of the 935 piece. Uh, speaking of exciting, Ben Lieber one of the analysts for the Vikings Radio Network. I mean, it's like he he came in hot, we all got hot. He had this report into the second half of the 
Vikings-Bears game involving Matt Nagy, Dalvin Cook, JJ, or for our Spanish-speaking Vikings fans, our beloved Ota Ota, and AT19 Adam Thielen. And I think it bears a little more conversation. Because if it's a harbinger, then we got to work around it. Isn't that exciting? Oh, yeah, it I is. I mean, Dalvin, JJ, AT19, Nacho Lieber, and five crushing Set home losses. losses. What are we doing here? Four fourth quarter, blown these boons. That's all in the 940 Zim after that. TimberTech, TimberTech.com. Jesse Singh. Uh, this is my final day on the radio doing 9 to noon before Christmas, so it behooves me to thank and express gratitude for the CEO of TimberTech, Jesse Singh, based in Minnesota, companies out of Chicago. Got a bunch of Bears fans, man, working for TimberTech and TimberTech.com. You probably took it metaphorically on the proverbial chin after what happened on Sunday. For that, we apologize. But we also thank you very much for the What's on Deck 9 to Noon each and every weekday and also your continued belief and sponsorship with KFAN all the way back to March when this pandemic purge hit. Uh, We thank you very much, Jesse, and we thank you very much, TimberTech. Timbertech TimberTech.com if you're looking for a new deck. Some T-Wolves talk with a truncated season preview when 9 to Noon continues at FM 100.3. KFAN, it's Paul Allen. Merry Christmas, Rube Nation. Hold on to your butts. The FAN. I like the Alaskan pipeline. I do. Yes, I do. 920 FM 100.3 KFAM. Paul Allen, Love Covenant. Happy Christmas week. 9 to noon radio show continues. Biking segment around the corner. And uh, then a Zim Zoom. All you want to do is a Zim Zim Zoom. The Zim Zoom weekly press conference. uh, Normally on a Wednesday, but this week on a Tuesday. That takes place at 10 o'clock. Uh, Those of you in fantasy football championship scenarios, those of you in guillotine league final week scenarios, your conduit to the cash. Paul Charchian, guillotineleagues.com. His uh, final appearance this this 2020 from a fantasy football standpoint uh, will take place at 10.15. Then OGOC, Gary Kubiak, about 10.30. T-Wolves. Season debut tomorrow night. No fans. Insert the cliched, yeah, but there were no fans in the first place. and They were kind of playing in their own purge-related bubble with not many people outside of beloved Haley Darling and Jimmy K going to games. But nevertheless, they're going to push through these brave souls. They will push through the end of 2020 outside of a bubble playing basketball at a very high level, playing basketball at a very, very high level, Sands fans. And that begins tonight with a couple of games. And tomorrow for the Minnesota Timberwolves looks to be mostly a full slate. 
for the Minnesota Timberwolves, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, Malik Beasley, Ricky Rubio. I mean, like out of the gate, those seem to be the Wolves' best players. Yeah. Anthony Edwards, top pick from Georgia. I mean, this is a highly skilled rookie pushing through a fanless pandemic purge without Las Vegas Summer League. So now you can make apples into oranges and be in the same fishbowl just under different rocks if you go back to those rookies in the NFL, where clearly, specifically with the high-end receivers, took a little while to get going with no preseason games. I expect that to be the same in the NBA with these rookies, including ours, Anthony Edwards, top pick from Georgia, James Wiseman, the big man who's played like a minute in two years. Didn't even play in the preseason for the Warriors. Probably take him a hot tick to get going. The Timberwolves, I mean, this, we got to be careful here. Because this is a hardcore basketball take that transpired in a pandemic preseason purge. Which means you can mention it. But, I mean, it can't be an all-encompassing opinion because it was the preseason. But, like, anybody who watched those games against Memphis, I mean, the defense in the first two preseason games was um, lacking. I mean, wasn't like every play wasn't like, ole! It wasn't like Vikings corner Chris Jones guarding Tony Pollard Free throw line extended saying, Olay! Go to the basket and slam dunk. But nevertheless, as the kids would say, I think it's a thing into the season. How about this? The Wolves were outscored in the paint in two versus the Grizz, 116 to 72. Oh my gosh. It's pandemic purge preseason. Yeah. Probably not real. Okay? I mean, mask may have been up above my eyes when I was watching it, socially distanced from everybody. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. 116.72 in the paint. I mean, Jonas Valashunas and John Morant, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson didn't even play, but that's okay. Jarrett Culver, year two. Can't wait to see where this goes. Because not offering up blanket pandemic purge and the preseason related opinions but for my taste Culver looked better than Okogie in the first two I didn't see the Dallas game Jarrett Culver year two stronger bigger gut vibe I believe in Culver because I know he's a high ender and he was drafted by a man who found a way to swindle I mean move Andrew Wiggins to the Golden State Warriors. So, I mean, he's got to be right. We may just have to wait, but he's got to be right. It's what he does. He did look better than Okogie. Now, Okogie, Okogie may not show up for a long time until he faces the James Harden types of the NBA. Then he's first-team all-NBA defender out of freaking nowhere, and then he disappears into the mist again. So, like with Jarrett Culver... When I and we and they start watching tomorrow night, 
the ball handling skills, looking for that. Ryan Saunders, coach of the Timberwolves, on 9 to noon, two and a half, three, three and a half weeks ago, made the proclamation the ball handling skills for young Jared Culver have improved. Looking forward to watching him. Because if you can't dribble, and if, and, and if you're weak on one hand, those gentlemen in the NBA are going to figure that out in a hot tick, and you will be exposed. Jared Culver, year two. That is intriguing to me. Now, Carl Anthony Towns looks slower than usual out of the emotional offseason he had. Still dominated offensively in those first two games that I saw, but just looked to be, just looked like the emotional, awful offseason, copyright the pandemic purge, Carl Anthony Towns and his family has had. I understand, man, if, if, if your mind was adrift and something had gone amiss, I understand. Push through it, work through it, do the very best you can. Ain't nobody going to judge Cat because, I mean, Cat, off all of that, still had some domination to him offensively. Man, they had some plays with Cat, top of the key, free throw line extended, where, like, he was passing and trying to channel his inner Vlade Divac. And I found that to be very, very compelling. Cat, tomorrow night unveiled against Uncle Ed's team. The Pistons, Uncle Ed's team, they're here tomorrow night. The Detroit Pistons will finish with the worst record in the NBA, and they can't score. (laughs) That's about the only way to lay it out. I mean, if you're going to the game, oh, wait. If you're watching the game with friends, oh, wait. If you're going to go hang out at your favorite watering, ha, oh, wait. Well... If you got like a game-worn Thon Maker or Luke Kennard or maybe a game-worn Andre Drummond. Christian Wood. Yeah, you can't wear the game-worn Christian Wood unless it's red because he plays for Houston. The game-worn Andre Drummond with two steals a game, very sneaky fashion. He's with the Cavs. He runs with Kevin Love. These Pistons, with all due respect to the surrogate and to Uncle Ed, I think they're going to have the worst record in the NBA. And I spent 17 minutes of my life Uh that I never will get back, and it's fine, watching a Pistons-Knicks preseason game (laughs) because of how captivated I was hearing Tom Tibbs slash Thibodeau yell during a preseason game like it was a big spot game in March. Like he was in the bubble trying to usurp the self-proclaimed king. I found that to be entertaining. But during the course of the 17 minutes, I'll never get back. I mean, the final score might have been 99-91, 95-89. Who in the hell combines for 180-some-odd points in a pandemic purge? I mean, those bubble games, they were like combined scores, man, early of 260-270. So the long play here with tomorrow night snapshot, potentially typifying the who, what, where, when, and why defensively for the Minnesota Timberwolves. If we allow the Detroit Pistons tomorrow evening 115 points or more, whoa. What what are we doing here? If Mason Plumley, if DeLon Wright, 
if Seko Dumbuya, remember Dumbuya? Oh, yeah. Dumbuya Dumbuya? He, if these guys put up triple digits on the Wolves, defensively we would have a small problem tomorrow night. Jeremy Grant, now a member of the Pistons. I ain't expecting anything from Edwards for at least a month. Yeah. That, that I mean, like when I originally crafted this bit, I was like month and a half, two months. But then I'm like, they ain't playing 82. And he's the first overall pick in the draft. So it's incumbent upon somebody selected first overall in a draft to push through something more quickly than the masses expect. So I'm going to say with that words, when I say expecting anything, that means somebody against men who can change games. So ain't. Ain't sure how many minutes he's going to be playing, like when they beat, I mean, play Uncle Ed's team tomorrow night. But don't kick the ball off your knee. Don't shoot air balls. Get to the free throw line. Mix in a little mini sweet box score and improve game by game by game by game. No Vegas Summer League. That's legitimately a thing. I mean, Colin Sexton, the kid from Alabama, almost single-handedly like playing three-on-five against Patino's bunch, almost single-handedly beat a team, three-on-five, because of ejections and stuff like that. I met Thomas and Mac a few summers ago at the Las Vegas Summer League bit, there to watch J.P. Makura execute his toil with the with the Charlotte squad, and I'm watching this Alabama kid with the hair, and I'm like, whoa, holy cow, that man is dazzling. Well, like, for him, that Vegas Summer League helped propel him to a better rookie season than a lot of these rookies are going to be having, probably early stages, maybe even through the latter stages of January. But we are willing to wait. I mean, it's a distraction factor in a pandemic purge. Who's going to complain about somebody missing kicks when we're just happy to have favorite team and or favorite league Available via television multiple days and or nights a week. Same thing with the association. How hard are you going to complain about something when, guess what? We're like inches from not having it. And we didn't have it. Ah, <sighs> Deep breath. Everybody relax. Ain't expecting much from, uh, much from the Georgia kid for about a month. Just like rookies in the NFL, man, with that bastard offseason. Speaking of the NFL... Got a Vikings-related segment and an annual parody, 9 to noon unfurls, called a Vikings Christmas. That's around the corner. Talker Tuesday, 9 to noon. Love. We'll see. Hashtag Faith Radio. Viking. Losing to the Bears makes me want to pout. Don't you love great singing like that? I mean, it was established many, many years ago by the best singer in the state, Julius Collins. Sundays and Mondays, bunkers, Washington, when we're not in a pandemic purge, that I sing in quarter tone. Then after some research in the Middle East, specifically Lebanon, that is the preferred singing, that's that's the singing tone of choice, quarter tone. So like if I was singing five sacks from Ngakwe in Beirut, 
man, they'd be feeding me grapes and like fanning me. I think you're a songbird, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, a bur- I'm a bird of a different feather. There ain't no doubt about that. But that quarter tone singing, about 10 minutes from now, four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, ba-da-da-da-da. The annual A Viking's Christmas. We always enjoy doing it. It's very, very fun. Uh, that's coming up soon. And um, assumedly, we'll be on the um, Paul Allen show page kfan.com yeah why not so the kiddies can listen to it on christmas day and have a funky good time over and over and over again speaking of the minnesota vikings ben lieber former vikings linebacker he is the sideline analyst for the vikings radio network and kfan and um we just executed the boom for the second half vikings and bears and uh then ben lieber in very very crafty and coy fashion Cracked the microphone and shared this. A report on the Chicago Bears. Here's Ben Lieber. Yeah, Matt Nagy, the halftime report, was talking to Fox and said that the way going forward in the second half is to go ahead and let Dalvin Cook get his yards. They're more concerned about the explosive passing plays. So we may see Dalvin get some yards on the ground, but see that pass defense try to tighten up a little bit. Oh, seemingly inane, maybe elevator music related report to some, to others. We hear the potential of a harbinger and forecasting something like this to come that potentially could be negative. Here's what I mean is if if you are taking the approach that we're going to loosen things and let the best running back in the NFL not necessarily run roughshod on us, but we're going to, quote, let him get his, end quote, because that kid from LSU and the Detroit Lakes guy, they ain't getting us over the top. So if you're going to win this metaphorical boxing match, you're going to beat us with jabs because 18's an uppercut and 19's a roundhouse. And that like that like deep cross to 19 center of the field makes Tashawn uh, Gibson miss, and there he goes. That ain't going to happen. That 18 over the top for those 71s, that ain't going to happen. It's not. We're 6-8. We're and eight, All right? We got two to go. Vikings are not going to the playoffs. But if that indeed is a low-key, sneaky approach to attacking a Vikings offense, then I wonder what's next for Kubiak and the Vikings offense. Because at certain times, if you put the quarterback on the wrong five- or seven-step drop, he's going to get killed against certain teams. That's just how it's working. Don't you think that's that's two weeks in a row now when you when you look at that? like So that, that report from Lieber there and what Nagy said at halftime, I kind of feel like that's two weeks in a row. Look at Tampa and Todd Bowles and the construction of that defense and what they've done to running games all year round Yes, in terms of the the 3.3 yards per carry, limited guys under 100 yards rushing for more than a season's worth of games consecutively. Yeah. And then you then you come out there against Tampa and all of the all of the conventional wisdom of the game, the idea that can't run let's stretch it out fantasy feast for our receiving game and Kirk 
Then suddenly you see the chunks of yards and just on the verge of getting loose, Dalvin Cook, but then it was crickets, a total of 78 yards or something like that for Diggs and, or for Thielen and Jefferson. And so is that the biggest tell? I think that's very interesting now. Two weeks in a row, essentially, we've been told the same thing. Go, Dalvin, but you're not getting us with these two stud receivers. Now, Bowles did put something on the Vikings' offense. Ben reported on it off the Fox report, and it is happening. I haven't had time to watch back a ton of it, but in just a few things that I saw, I was wondering during the course of the game why Eddie Jackson, 39, was not doing Eddie Jackson-like things. You know, it's because he was so far off the line of scrimmage in very deceptive fashion, taking away part of the field for 1-9 and J.J. So, like, look at Jefferson in the Bears game. Eight catches, 104 yards, but zero TDs. And we didn't have any of those long ones like uh, like he did earlier in the season in some of these home games. And one of his, it might be among his lowest uh, reception or yards per reception games of the season, too. Had to grind his way there. And no doubt averages about 17 per. Now, against the Bucks, four catches, 39 yards, zero TDs. Jefferson has zero road touchdowns this season. They've all been at home. against. So now there's the Bowles game. Before that, Jacksonville, nine catches, 121-1. and one. That's Jacksonville. Thielen, 875-1. So we get 200 yards from one of the best receiving duos in the NFL and two TDs against one of the worst two teams in the league. So now off that... Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator for the Bucks, he clearly did something with his safeties, linebackers, and corners to lit Thielen, the uppercut, Jefferson, the roundhouse. I mean, you can jab away all you want with Dalvin, but it's going to take you too long to score, and if you get behind, this approach is not going to give you enough clock too much time for Teddy, too much clock for Kirk to win a game. Jefferson against Carolina, 770 and 2, and against Dallas, 386 and 1. Thielen against the, against the Bucks, three catches, 39 yards. In the Bears game, only two catches, but a touchdown. And when you get inside the red area, Thielen, 12 red zone touchdowns for Thielen. He has a league leading amount of touchdowns inside the 20. This is very, the dichotomy of this is very fascinating because the differences between the 20s with what is being given, what is being taken, what is being missed, and what is being permitted, that's one thing. When you get inside the 20, you got to play it straight. I mean, ain't no safety cheating for a Jefferson fade because now you got Irv Smith Jr. and Conklin and, and, and Chad Beebe beating the Panthers. You have different things in a smaller area that does not permit you to take away the roundhouse, take away the uppercut from a deep game standpoint. Thielen against Dallas, 8-123-2. Cowboys defense, diseased. First Bears game, only four catches, but two went to the end zone. So this reminds me of something that transpired in 2007. Down memory lane we go. Adrian Peterson's kicking ass. Nobody can stop him. And he has the best, most aggressive, violent 
cutback since Barry Sanders. And the thing is, he'd cut it back, then the corners weren't ready. So then we go to San Francisco, and their defensive coordinator might have been Mike Nolan, but I can't remember, maybe a Minuski. He played his corners in a run-blitzing way that eliminated Peterson on the edge. And that threw the season to the proverbial wolves. Because then we then we hooked Washington on Sunday Night Football. The, uh, the season, Washington was playing without Sean Taylor, the Kane safety, um, who, um, who died out of nowhere. Very emotional squad. Greg Williams was their uh, defensive coordinator. And they did the same thing. And Adrian struggled to get loose on the edge. Something has happened here with the deep games of Jefferson and Adam Thielen. And it bears following as we head into the final two. From a fantasy football standpoint, I mean, Dalvin feels like a lot of yards because he's Dalvin. Feels like a lot of yards because safeties are being used to eliminate the knockout punch. We'll see what's next for the Vikings offense. What's next for 9 to noon is an annual parody we call a Vikings Christmas to the A 12 Days of Christmas tune. And here it is. Merry Christmas, Vikings fans. You are the best. Here we go. On the first day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the second day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me two block punts by the Lions and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the third day of Christmas, our Vikings gave to us three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Detroit Lions, and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the fourth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me Four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Lions, and a weird disease season in the purge. On the fifth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me five sacks from Ngakwe. Was he even here? Four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Kitties, and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the sixth day of Christmas, our Vikings gave to us just six measly wins. Five crushing home losses. Four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Lions, and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. Pound, JJ! Seventh day of Christmas, our Vikings gave to us seven TDs for JJ, six measly wins. Five crushing home losses. Miss you, fans. Four picked by Harry. Three sacked by E. Wilson. Two block punts by the Kitties. And a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the eighth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me eight home games over the total. Seven TDs for JJ. Six measly wins. Five sacks from Ngakwee. Picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Lions, and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the ninth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me nine rubes drunk dialing fan line, eight home games over the total, 
Seven TDs for JJ. Six measly wins. Five crushing home losses. Four picks by Harry. Three sacked by Wilson. Two block punts by the Lions. And a topsy-turvy disease season 2020. On the tenth day of Christmas, our Vikings gave to us ten missed kicks by Bailey. Nine rubes drunk dialing fan line. Eight home games over the total. Seven touchdown, JJ. Six measly wins. Five sacks from Ngakwe. Still leads the team. Four picks by the Hitman. Three sacks by Wilson. Two blocked punts by the Lions. And a weird 2020 in the purge. On the 11th day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me just 11 games from Kendricks, 10 missed kicks by Bailey, 9 rubes drunk dialing, Corey Coven, Ron Johnson on fan line, 8 home games over the total, 7 touchdowns for JJ, 6 measly wins, 5 crushing home losses, it's a mausoleum in there, 4 picks by Harry, 3 sacks by Wilson, 2 unacceptable block punts by the Lions, what a topsy-turvy season in the purge, let's wrap it up now. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me twelve red zone TDs from Thielen, just eleven games from Kendricks, ten missed kicks by Dan Bailey, nine rubes drunk dialing fan line, eight home games soaring over the total, seven TDs for the best rookie receiver in the NFL, six measly wins, five sacks from Ngakwe. What are we doing with the unique? Four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts in the Lions game, and a topsy-turvy weird season in the pandemic purge. Merry Christmas, Vikings fans. No love for my Golden State Warriors? Check here, Polly Wally. A, 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 a Zimzoom press conference up to the Saints game coming up shortly. Vikings and Saints, 3.30 KFAM, Christmas Day on Friday. What a treat, what a gift. Got a bow, got some streamers, and um, hopefully it is a gift of winning and beating the New Orleans Saints. Quite the banged up bunch. Michael Thomas won't play. Uh, safety, Marcus Williams, you may remember him when he was a rookie from Utah. He messed up that uh, Minneapolis miracle, but here's the Zim Zoom. Uh, good players at every level, Hendrickson, uh, Cameron Jordan, you know, Jenkins is a really good player. Linebackers are fast. Um, secondary does a really nice job in playing man-to-man. Uh, good scheme, and offensively, obviously, they got Hall of Fame quarterback and Kamara and Latavius. Uh, really solid offensive line, good weapons. Uh, Jared Cook, you know, so uh, we're going to have to play really well, get on short week, and get back to it. Would you say, Mike, you guys have developed a pretty good rivalry with the Saints? I mean, fifth time you've played them in the last four years, plus a couple of playoff games, obviously. I don't know, it's just who's ever on the schedule we play.
Mike, when you have such familiarity with the quarterback, though, I mean, and does that change things when he knows you and, and you know him and you've faced each other so many times? I don't think it's an advantage either way. Um, you know, we, I mean, you know, you play – you play Rodgers twice, play Stafford twice. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, good quarterbacks are good quarterbacks. They do a great job offensively with their scheme. Uh, you know, Drew's obviously very smart, um, very productive, um, you know, but uh, I think he does a great job. Hey, Mike, what'd you see from Drew in this game back? Obviously it's, it's quite the injury he was coming back from. Yeah. He, well, you know, I think, uh, you know, he, Looked like Drew Brees to me. Thinks you know he hit a deep ball. Um, you know he's probably I don't know. You'd have to ask him how he how he was uh, starting out. But uh, you know the Chiefs are a good defensive good defensive team as well. And so you know they probably had some new wrinkles for him initially. Mike, how would you assess the uh, the growth of your two young cornerbacks, uh, Gladney and Dantzler, as the season's going on? Well, I think they both have a chance to be really good players. Um, you know, Dan, Danzler, um, you know, he's he's had some good matchups on some really good receivers. Uh, Gladney has done, um, you know, a really good job, in, in my opinion, of, of moving inside and outside. You know, sometimes he, he makes mistakes, but uh, um, he's a tough kid. He's starting to see things better. Uh, I, think, I think they're both going to be really good. Mike, how did you feel about Cook and Jefferson named uh, to the Pro Bowl, and did you feel you guys deserved more than two selections? I really don't worry about any of that stuff. Uh, you know, I think both those two kids had a good year, and um, I'm glad to see that happen for them. Following up on Dalvin Cook, hi, Coach, Jane Slater, NFL Network. Uh, where have you seen his game develop? What's standing out to you about his productivity this year? You know, I don't think uh, really anything uh, physically. You know, he's always been had great feet, hits the hole well, tough, hard runner. Uh, I would say his leadership ability, his uh, the way he he interacts with the teammates, um, his desire that he has to be successful. Um, you know, I, I think all those things probably show up a little bit more. Uh, you know, he's been he's always been a terrific runner. And, uh, you know, he's been good in protection. You guys are facing Alvin Kamara this week. How do you, what do you take away from that Bears game and what the Bears were able to do with, against you guys with Montgomery? How do you tighten that up ahead of this game? Yeah, we didn't play very well uh, against the run. We didn't tackle very well. Kamara's obviously a great back. Um, you know, he's got really, really good feet like Dalvin. He's hard to tackle like, like Dalvin is. Uh, you know, they use him in a more variety of ways. And, uh, you know, we're just going to have to uh, do a better job in some of the, you know, some of the cutback and power runs than we did uh, last week. Mike, since Stansler came back from the concussion, seems like it, things have really started to click for him. Is there anything that you attribute that to and just like how well he's played, especially these last, uh, you know, two of the last three games where he's had the interceptions? Uh, no, not really. I think, uh, you know, I guess early in the year he'd misjudged a couple balls, uh, but maybe lost his confidence a little bit, but he's been playing very confident and um, doing a nice job. 
Coach, I know that you and Sean Payton have remained good friends over the years. Your families have remained close. Uh, you get this one on Christmas. Knowing how competitive he is and the way that you have sent him out of the playoffs in 2017 and 19, is there ever a, a time for a friendly conversation about that, or is that just something to keep the friendship afloat that you don't broach? Well, Sean and, Sean and I have always been good friends. Um, my my daughters have babysitted his kids when we were in Dallas together. Um, you can tell my daughter's going to have twins now, so he can be a possible grandpa with me. But, um, uh, you know, we talked a little bit in the offseason about, you know, I know he texted me after the one game and said, uh, you know, that'll be one, one for us to remember. But, uh, you know, um, you know, Sean and I have such respect for one another that, you know, I don't think, even as cocky as he is, um, I don't think we ever want to, you know, affect affect our friendship any. Hey, Mike, uh, Jefferson, the physical skills are obvious, but as you almost had a full season with this kid now, what's impressed you most about him? You know, Mark, uh, I mean, several things, you know, he, he loves to play football. Um, you know, we've, we've done a lot of different things with him. Um, you know, I think his ability to make big plays and big moments of the games, uh, has, has shown up, but, you know, like I've said probably a hundred times, uh, the thing I'm most impressed with is, is his catch radius and how he can go up and get the football and, you know, some of the throws that aren't exactly perfect. He, he makes, makes perfect. What was it about week three that uh, you guys pulled the trigger on um, putting him in and, and really that was his breakout game? Mark, it's week 16. I don't <laughs> what was week, What was week three? I don't have a clue. That was, that's when he became a starter and he, you know, had the first, first game. I was wondering, did you guys see I, this in training camp and just wanted to kind of verify that he could handle the, the stage or – no, I, no, we knew. He, I, I knew he could handle the stage right from the get go. I think it was the culmination of all the different things we were trying to do with him, and then have to figure out, um, you know, how to how to package him a little bit more, maybe, um, you know, so that he can get out there and be effective. And he wasn't trying to do too many things with him because, uh, you know, he is very talented. No, we knew. We knew. I, I turned. To, I think I told Gary in one of the training camp practice, I said, man, this guy looks different than everybody else. Mike Harrison Smith has talked about the best defenses he's been on are ones where, you know, there's not a noticeable difference in age. And yes, like there's guys who are a lot younger than him on this defense, but that when you're playing well, the age and inexperience factor is something that just kind of goes away. It's something you don't talk about. Was there a point this year that you noticed maybe some of the younger guys not playing like rookies, if that makes sense, and kind of where you could tell this defense was taking strides as a cohesive unit in the secondary? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I guess. Uh, you know, the, the only disappointing thing for me is that, you know, like against Tampa Bay, we play great on defense. Uh, I thought we played great all day, you know. the, I mean, we get an interception in the end zone, they call it back, you know, get a penalty on a Hail Mary, you know, and then we don't play as well last week against Chicago. So that's the thing that disappoints me the most. But I, I have seen strides. Um, 
with these with the with the guys we're playing with, you know, at the beginning of the year, the secondary was probably a an area that we uh, were the most concerned about, and now we're not as concerned about it. I guess is the best way to say it. Time for two more. Hey, Mike, is there anything differently you, you do this week approach-wise, knowing that, uh, you know, the playoff hopes are kind of fading or uh, just to keep them mentally locked in, or, or is it just the fact of, you know, having a national standalone game on TV uh, enough motivation for them? You know, we don't really look at TV games or anything like that. We just try to go out and figure out how to, how to play this this team who's a terrific def- offensive, defensive team, a really good specialist, uh, you know, so we don't really look at any of that stuff. We're just trying to, uh, you know, play good. We need to play good on defense this week against a really good offensive football team. Um, you know, and then we'll worry about all the other stuff. We'll let all the prognosticators do their deal and we'll go out and we'll try to play our very best. Do you anticipate Mike Eric Kendricks being able to play Friday or will he even play again the rest of this season? I don't know yet. The weekly Zim Zoom into a game against the New Orleans Saints, Christmas Day, 3.30, pregame 1.30, KFAM, and uh, 2.30, Fan Radio Network and uh, Vikings Radio Network. You know, the I, uh, I and we have heard it before, the longstanding relationship between Mike Zimmer and Saints coach Sean Payton. I mean, it goes back to the Bill Parcells days and, you know, Zim Zim kind of gushing over Sean Payton again. That's cool, man. But, I mean, for me, and and maybe speaking for a lot of you, he oversaw Bounty Gate 2009. Uh, he's awful. I mean, I'm sorry. That's the only way to put it. I mean, if I ran into him at the Combine and I'm like, by Zim Zoom, I'd give him a fist bump, man. I mean, he's a Super Bowl champion coach. But that's awful, which, which in turn... He allowed Bounty Gate, he allowed the high lows on Favre uh, in, in instructed and, and accepted fashion. He allowed it to continue. That's cheating to win, man. That's why he lost a full season. That's why Bounty Gate is Bounty Gate. So, I mean, with all due respect to coach and friends in Zoom, Sean Payton's awful, man, for for orchestrating that. Or you you can pin it on Greg Williams and like put the whole thing on him, and most of it had to do with him. But you're the coach; you oversee the team. So Zim Zoom can have him. I hope they beat. Uh, hope they beat the Saints on Friday. You know, playoffs last year, the non-obvious completely caught best friend off guard with Hunter and Griffin inside flustering breeze. I I mean, A, I don't even know who's going to play for the Vikings on Friday. I mean, you got Armin Watts leaving the game injured. You have Jalen Holmes leaving the game injured. And and Kendricks, I'm not counting on Kendricks, like I said yesterday. You know, uh, Cam Dantzler, he got nicked up, came back, but how did he bounce out of it? How about Afadi with the ankle bit? He did return as well, right. but tricky and with the playoff hopes, you know, the fading. Huh? Who's going to play? The, the the short week, man. It's like if Adi and Dantzler come back. and But the, the thing is, is how did they respond after coming back that evening and the next day? That's the key. How did the horse come out of the race? Troy Die. Nobody cares about Troy Die and his 20 plays a game, but he nevertheless, you know, he, he still is a linebacker in the base 4-3. So I just don't, 
you know, the the Hunter Griffin tricks inside flustering breeze, A, they're going to be ready for it no matter who you use, and B, we don't have players that caliber at this stage to put inside and fluster the diminutive Purdue Hall of Famer. Very, very intriguing to see uh, what the approach is and who plays. What's also intriguing is those of you in fantasy football championships of the world weekends. Uh, Paul Charchian, he'll be joining us next for the fantasy pickup joint. And Charch is very adroit and adept at making promises and having them come through, just like my guy Josh Pomerlow at Pomerlow Team, J.P. Wilman Realty, Twin Cities. They have the Pomerlow promise. And with the Pomerlow promise, you get together with said company, PomerlowTeam.com, to learn more, and you agree on a price for which you want your home sold and a date. And if the Pomerlo team doesn't hit it, they buy your spot. That's it. That's the promise. How about that? I mean, here's the date. Here's the price. Let's go on and make something happen. If it doesn't happen, they buy it from you. Swoosh. You're off to the next place with the kiddies. They do much more than just offer the promise. They sell mm, like 360 to 390 homes a year, second to none virtually. Fantastic Pomerlo. Pomerloteam.com, Pomerloteam.com. The fan. You know, I haven't heard that full song in quite some time. Yeah. Or at least part of what was a full song. Fantastic. Just like Zimmer during um, his Zim Zoom, when going through the Saints running backs, he mentioned Alvin Kamara and La La Latavius. Latavius Murray. Oh, I got that one somewhere. Let me see. La 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 Latavius. Hmm. Keenum was the case that they gave me. Oh, yeah. Pick up join the second charge. Case Keenum, fifth year from Houston. Oh, yeah. Case Keenum. Now this Case Keenum, where's number seven? is Christmas cheer. Base. He's just another guy, a seat filler. Tom Killer, get us through the bye. Just another cog. <laughs> Dragon spins five. Hey, Churchy. Good morning. How are you? Uh, title weeks for fantasy football leagues, yeah. guillotine leagues, 
And a big, big week for uh, the old Charchi rankings at guillotineleagues.com. Uh, what uh, what are your thoughts into um, into this title week for many listening right now? Specifically, it's not like a lot of people use Lions, but like the Lions have closed their facility. A couple mm-hmm. of a uh, couple of uh, I don't know if it's players or whatever, but a couple of people allegedly got bit. So it's not like uh, you know. I mean, De- DeAndre Swift could be helping people, but um, he could be. Yeah, yeah, tough matchup this week, but yeah, maybe. I, I think the only really notable move that you kind of make in a championship game, mm-hmm. you know, because that's where we are now. And by the way, congratulations to those that are there. Did you any of your guillotine leagues make it, Paul? One. Yes. Got a congratulations uh, out of six. A thirty. Um, one of the thirty dollar leagues uh, made it to the wire with uh, thanks to. Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, and so mm. on and so on. Nice. That's well, cool, the man. On, I think the only move big enough to make an impact in Week 16 is Cam Akers is out. He's got a high ankle sprain. That's He's probably going to miss the rest of the regular season, maybe Oof. even into the playoffs. And that means Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown get into play a little bit this weekend and, and beyond. And so, yeah, I think that's... That's the one move that that might still be relevant for a team good enough to get to the playoffs. Now, they do have a really tough matchup with Seattle's run defense. And I know for Viking fans, you saw the Vikings run through the Seattle defense. I'm telling you, that's like the one-game anomaly for them. They have been a great run defense all season long. And the Rams, um, it's going to be an uphill battle. But that's the that's the one move that people might still be able to make to have some relevancy here. Feeling got 13 touchdowns, 12 in the red zone. Uh, Jefferson, seven touchdowns this season, zero on the road. But um, as Nordo and I talked about 40 minutes ago, they're in the last couple of games, Todd Bowles, defensive coordinator for the Bucks, you know, mm-hmm. he, he cheated his safeties a fair amount of the game to take away the deep shots with Jefferson and or Thielen. So then if you like look at their numbers during those last two games, granted JJ put up some numbers last game. Um, he was eight one oh four and zero, but against the Bucks four thirty nine and zero, Thielen three thirty nine and zero. Only mm-hmm. two catches against the Bears, but a touchdown in the red area. So the long play here is if Thielen and or Jefferson had kind of towed you along to this championship. Now you play a good Saints defense. What do you do with those two? If, like, on film, teams know, if we pull our safeties back and take away the roundhouses and the uppercuts and we just let Dalvin jab away at us, we'll take our chances. Yeah, that's, you know, that that is tricky. Now, are you you're talking about the Tampa side in particular, or are you no. talking about Cousins in New Orleans heading, yeah. you know, Cousins heading to New Orleans? No, I'm talking about Jefferson and Thielen and the deep game, clearly the last couple being taken away. Yeah. They have been taken away, which I, you know, not a coincidence in all probability. Um, and I think the Saints will, will probably end up being the same way. Now, the Saints' pass defense, Paul, had been fantastic, really, and has been fantastic for almost the entire year, and especially really over the last seven, eight games, have been brutal. They they struggled through the first half of the season, and then it just all clicked from when they faced Tom Brady in Week Nine forward. And since then, other than Holmes last week, who Hit him for three touchdowns. That's Patrick Mahomes. They had been zero and one touchdown pass in six straight games prior to that. It's yeah. a, it is, it is, I know it's not a, it's not a great matchup for the Vikings either on the ground or through the air. And for anybody who got, you know, I think for anybody who got powered into the championship game, 
Dalvin Cook's probably your only starter, and even that's a brutally tough matchup, Paul. We talked about how hard the matchup was was against Tampa Bay. Yeah, this is this is similarly difficult. Although I'll note, last week Clyde Edwards-Helaire and Le'Veon Bell combined for 160 total yards. Excuse me, 140 total yards. Yeah. And Miles Sanders for 150 put up 115 by himself. A lot of it in one run, but still, you can get a little something done. But on the balance, this has been the second best run defense of the year for this season. I wonder um I wonder what's next for Cam Jordan and um and the Saints. I mean he got taught he got ejected from a game. So do I believe there will be a one game suspension? Probably not. But I mean Cam Jordan, he he's under scrutiny. One of their safeties, Marcus Williams is not going to play. Michael Thomas ain't going to play. It uh you, they they just put the Deontay cat on IR. So yeah. I mean, outside of Emmanuel Sanders and and Kamara catching, you know, at the from a Saint standpoint, what do you use fantasy wise? Well, maybe that's enough, Paul. I, you know, I think you know one of the other big storylines has got to be how bad Drew Brees looked in particular in the first half of last week's game. He was brutal, Paul. I, it was it was a disaster, and I think that's you know that's going to be one of the things that. And I don't know if you've had a chance yet to go back. I know you you generally watch previous games. Um, if you haven't had a chance to see his his first half, it was it was horrible. If you just looked at the box score and you saw three touchdowns, right. you might feel pretty good about what Drew Brees did. But when you watch that game, it it was it was bad for a lot of that game, and, and Brees did not look like himself. You know, it'll be interesting to see how they decide to position him, the platooning uh, possibilities with Taysom Hill, and where they use Taysom Hill. They use they love to use Hill near the stripe, and he ran in a, t- a short touchdown last week. And that's you know that's a lot of what they like to do is put Hill in and then try to make you figure it out as a defense on what what they're going to do. But if Brees can't pass, that's you know if he goes another game like last week, there's no guarantee Drew Brees even finishes this game. The Vikings, if the Vikings can just get some pressure on a quarterback, that would that would also be helpful. Hey man, any uh, fantasy pickup joint type things to uh, share in closing? Just the Henderson thing, I think, is the only thing, the only move yep. that we're going to make in a championship week at this point. Your roster's in; it should be in, in, in pretty settled, I think, at this stage. Paul, Merry Christmas to you and your family, and thanks for everything. Nine to noon. It's uh, we, we had a great season, Paul. We look forward to talking playoffs uh, when we come back after the new year. Yes, sir. Paul Chargian, GuillotineLeagues.com, co-host of the Friday Football Feast. Around the corner. Greg Bishop from Sports Illustrated on a very, very cool story involving the Vikings, Eric Kendricks, and social justice. But first, OGOC. Time now for the Vikings Report on the Fan, presented by Pilot Games. Vikings offensive coordinator Gary Kubiak joins PA after this from Pilot Games. Mr. Gary Kubiak, how important is body recovery for the players when you wheel back Friday for another game? Yeah, I mean, we're coming off of a very physical contest against Chicago. Our players left it all on the field. I mean, they gave everything they had, and you got to turn around here and play Christmas Day and, and go on the road to do it. So, you know, probably the most important thing will be getting them as fresh as we can possibly get them, you know, to go compete on Friday and and try to get ready mentally, but try to get their bodies back as best we can. Justin has more catches than Randy Moss did as a rookie. What a what a gifted, gifted player, Gary. Yeah, Paul, he's uh, he's got a chance to be special, you know, and I think um, Andrew's done a tremendous job with him and his growth this year and watching him, you know, the player he's become. And the thing that's exciting, I mean, he makes big plays, you know, uh, getting a lot out of his catches, uh, gaining more confidence. And, 
you know, I thank everybody in this uh, organization, this all the fans, everybody got to be very excited about the, the future that we, that this place has with Justin. So I'm proud of his work, and I'm proud of the job Andrew's done. Yeah, fan. to noon. Just listen. Nine to Noon Radio continues into the second half of the Talker Tuesday presentation. Welcome back. Love Covenant Dwellers. Greg Bishop writes for Sports Illustrated. You can read a piece at SI.com right now. A linebacker and his team in the year of athlete activism. And uh, Greg did a great job writing the piece, and uh, he joins us now. Greg, it's Paul Allen, and hopefully you haven't moved since we last chatted. How are things up Seattle way? Uh, thanks for having me, PA. You know, that we're, we're hanging in. You know, I, I live about a mile from the nursing home where there was the original outbreak in the epicenter in the U.S., and so we've been in quarantine since mid-February, which has been mostly good, except I think probably for my wife. Quarantine since mid-February, define that, because like you, you, you had the shutdown, pandemic purge, quarantine, um, and, and you know then things loosened all over the place, and just like, like describe that. Well, here in Seattle, they've actually had lockdown for most of the time. There was a brief couple-month period where they started opening restaurants again. You could eat indoors if it fit certain qualifications. But uh, they've gone back to sort of the lockdown mode. You know, where we are now, you can't eat inside. Um, You have to limit your gatherings to no more than five people outside of your own family. And uh, it's going to make for quite the interesting holiday season. So. Uh, we're, we're team vaccine out here, and uh, hopefully everybody's uh, getting well soon, for sure. Yes, sir. Uh, do you like, uh, b- before we get into the excellent story, very in-depth, uh, do you like Seattle's chances to get to the Super Bowl, talking about uh, those Seahawks? You know, I think their defense ultimately will be their undoing. You know, I think that you've seen the defense play better the last few weeks. They've had some good games overall. But to me, they're just too many big plays, too many times they've, they've allowed um, – you know, teams to run or pass on them. They've lost in kind of different ways. And if you get a game where Russell Wilson's not quite his magical self, where he doesn't score like four touchdowns and kind of lift them to victory, I just feel like they'll have a clunker in the playoffs. I do think it'll be interesting, though, to watch on Sunday. You know, that's a big game versus the Rams. Going to dictate largely, I think, who wins that division, which to me is, you know, probably the toughest division in football. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the, if the 12s get a home game here or not. Because they won't be able to go in the stadium, there won't be that kind of advantage. But um, you know, I think that that's a team that's that's capable of going deep. I just don't see them winning at all. Greg Bishop, Sports Illustrated at Greg Bishop SI via Twitter and um, SI dot com to read this piece. The story: Greg has been embedded in public and private Viking social justice meetings and the team's trend-setting movement. I mean, that's about the only way to put it. Uh, from a case study or trend-setting standpoint with some things this team has done in, in, in very cool fashion. Eric Kendricks is part of that forefront and is a major focus in this piece. Uh, just give us a thumbnail sketch 
of like being embedded publicly or privately in what the social justice team with the Vikings is doing, Greg? You know, I think what stood out to me, PA, is just the the level of involvement here. Like to me, what the Vikings are doing is something that we've seen in pieces all around sports, but I haven't really seen a team, especially an NFL team, put it all together the way the Vikings have. You know, you're talking about a team that started the social justice committee back when Kaepernick was kneeling, when most of the people in the league, including other owners, you know, decided they wanted to run away. Um, You're talking about a team with the general manager, you know, who has adopted six black children, who understands, you know, what they go through and have to live through on a daily basis. You know, when when I embedded with the Vikings in 2018 for their season, I only had a couple interactions with Andre Patterson, but he just struck me as a very intelligent guy, you know, the perfect sort of liaison between the players and the coaches. I know he's been super involved in all of this. You have the Wilt family and their history. And then I was really particularly interested in Eric Hendricks because this is a guy that I think is so much more interesting than you might not know if you don't really know him. You know, there's, there's a lot to Eric. Like, he's a very artistic guy, a very smart guy obviously an incredible player. But when I saw him in that video, you know, of um, NFL stars, like asking the league to do more, I thought this is a guy that's really stepping into his own. And so that was sort of the premise. And then it it just became a matter of like checking in, uh, being on some of these calls with the various organizations, uh, talking to people that were impacted, talking to people that have been really involved in it. And I just think that when it, for me, the totality of everything spoke to something that was beyond what we've seen in sports, you know, for a team and a player and a franchise and the work they've been doing. And I think uh, if every team followed the same blueprint, I think the world, you know, not to overstate or fall into a Hallmark card here, but I, I think we would be a lot better off. Well, I, I completely agree. And and in reading the way you, you were weaving the story together, it's it's the the what's next after people splash publicly, whether they're famous or not, the what's next is just kind of like, you know, where where I'm casting my gaze. And with the Vikings and or Kendricks, there has been a, okay, here's what happened, here's how we feel, and here's what's next. And that's been very impressive to me because specifically on Twitter, not not everybody's like that. I mean, people will scream at you, but then, you know, when you're looking for somebody to help, you, you, you can't find them. And like Kendricks... From the story, Greg, quote, never wanted to be in the spotlight, never wanted to be a big voice for this, end quote. You know, that there I bet you there are many stories like that and and stories that encourage people. Would you agree would you agree? Absolutely. I, I think it's the perfect point to make. And I and I think it's one thing to laud about Eric Kendricks in particular when you look at his social justice efforts. I mean, this is a guy that even back in high school, was like really trying to learn about these issues. He's the guy who studied political science at UCLA to become more versed in them. You know, he didn't just show up to, to a community event and lend his name and do nice things, all of which are applaudable on their own. You know, he, he really learned about laws and systems and justice and how it could be fixed and what organizations were working to really fix them. You know, he partnered with this group, All Square, that makes grilled cheese sandwiches and really teaches people coming out of prison, the skills they need to, to be able to beat a system that's set up for them to fail again and again. And, you know, I think that what's really commendable is we, we see a lot of um, push whenever something happens, when a black man is killed by a police officer, there are riots and protests and 
demonstrations. And I think everybody sort of looks at it and says, what can I do? And what I think Eric did, and, and to a larger extent, the entire Vikings franchise has done, is, is start to take these steps. Like, this is what it looks like, like real, actionable, sustainable change. starts with being out in your community. It starts with diving deeper into these conversations. I mean, these social justice calls, there's all sorts of people on them, every walk of life, and they're all contributing. And it's just like, you know, if you want to look at how to move it forward, like this to me is a great blueprint. And I think everyone, you know, even myself, you sort of wonder how that can be done. And what we're seeing, I think, you know, specifically with the Vikings in Minnesota is that there there are ways that we can really change what's going on, and these are the steps that must be taken. And and slowing with the judging on all levels. For instance, like back in October, our season wasn't was unraveling. And in the story at SI.com, you quoted Kendricks as saying, life was, quote, just a lot of stress, end quote. So, like, I read that, and in the age of rage, I'm expecting the close-minded, cliched age of rage response to be that, like, stress? Try going check-to-check seven days a week just to get by. I don't feel bad for millionaires, end quote. I mean, that uh, check-to-check and scratching and surviving, for sure, is a stressful existence, but Eric's stress is born of mentally beating himself up with a burning desire to do more. So that, too, is very mentally exhausting. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I think that's a great point to make, too. You know, essentially, I just think we could use a lot more empathy in our world. You know, it's 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 very much all things can be true, right? Like Eric Hendricks can have a rough couple-week stretch when the team is losing games and his dog dies and there's all these things that are on his mind. And the person that's living check-to-check check and really trying to struggle through coronavirus can also be having a, a tough time. And I, I think what the, what Eric and the Vikings have demonstrated is that a little empathy goes a long way. Like trying to – it's not just that they partner with AllSquare. It's that he met, you know, a guy there named Randall Smith who's a writer and does car detailing for several of the players. And it's not just that he met him, but he kept going back and getting his car detailed. And he kept learning about Smith's life, and he came to understand the guy better. And it's like that very kind of empathy that could be applied to Eric or to the Vikings – that they're extending to others. And I think, you know, it, it's sort of a simple thing, but if everybody just extended that a little bit more in a, every conversation they have every day, you know, again, it would just, these are little simple things that add up to a greater whole. And we are in a divisive time, in a strange time, in a turbulent time. None of this stuff hurts, you know, and I think that that's what they're demonstrating. It's, it's all going to help. And the, the question is how much and to what degree and how can it be carried forward? The story written by Greg Bishop, a linebacker and his team in the year of athlete activism, read it at SI.com, and uh, Greg can be found via Twitter at Greg Bishop SI. The Wilfs, the Wilf family, gave $5 million for social justice causes and already had donated a million for the disadvantaged with school supplies and legal aid and police community relations. I mean, I can't stress enough how much I love that because it's action more more so than loud words on Twitter and more need to follow their loud social media words with programs like this. So off what you said earlier, you know, if if we can just take incremental little steps as opposed to shouting people down, that's what the Vikings are doing. And, and it's nothing but positive. 
Absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a few things that, in there that are key that, you know, the financial investment is huge. The Wills family background in terms of what their family lived through during the Holocaust, you know, the grandmother who essentially saved, the, you know, all these people's lives, like that matters. Like being able to empower your players to give them $1 million to disperse how they want, like that, that's something to make sure they're involved. Now they learn about these organizations. Uh, they they want to look into like what works and what doesn't. You know they, they've had conversations and looked at like uh, financial information. Like that empowerment matters, and then the follow through matters. You know it's like I, I was on one of their calls uh, on December eighth, and it, they're talking about you know the scholarship winner for the George Floyd endowed scholarship. They're talking about you know different players are giving different updates on on all these organizations, and you can just tell that they are. Not just um, you know applauding the work or st- uh, rubber stamping the work, but they are immersed in it, and that kind of immersion is what leads to deeper relationships, which leads to more meaningful and more lasting change, which leads to a blueprint that others can follow. And so, I think when you look at it all, it all ties together. And it started when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling and what the Will family did to address that, and it continued all the way through today. And they were talking about ramping it up this offseason, getting players involved earlier and, and more players involved. And, you know, you just start to see the snowball effect. And when you look at it in that context from a bird's eye view, I, I think um, you start to see what really can happen, you know, with that kind of follow through. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. And um, and hopefully I'm not overstating this and, and didn't read it the wrong way, Greg. But um, Kendricks, you know, when Kendricks and the players were seemingly vetting out the Will family and executives before in, before going full throttle with the programs, and it's not like vetting out to make sure somebody's real, but just like if we're going if we're going to move forward with these programs, and and clearly you know the spot whence we come, but um, you know I'd I'd like you to share yours, and they did what what they learned was so sad and so astounding, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Wills family history is, is, um, heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time. You know, here's a family that, you know, could for all intents and purposes not have survived the worst things that happened in Poland. And I, it, you know, I wrote in the story about, you know, the family history and this, you know, the mother of, um, you know, Mark and Ziggy's mother, you know, who, who essentially like had, was able to hide her husband under the floorboards of a barn so that, that he could survive, you know, until the war ended. And, you know, then then she leaves and meets their father, and then they moved. I mean, all these dots have to connect for one family to make it to the United States, let alone, uh, you know, ultimately become owners of the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, like, there's there's nothing more American than that story, and there's nothing more tragic than hearing what they had to live through. And I think, you know, for players, sometimes you look at owners and think they're untouchable, that they aren't necessarily, that there's no way you can relate to them. Like, I didn't get that sense from Vikings players with the Wilts. I mean, to me, they, it's, it's that kind of moment, you know, sitting down and saying, this is what happened to our family. This is what we've lived through. Now, it's not exactly the same as what you've lived through, but it certainly has some similar echoes. And I think, you know, there's, there's a, I was talking with Sean McVay oddly about this the other day, like there's what comes first, vulnerability or trust, right? And I think his answer was vulnerability, that you have to like show who you are what you've lived through and why it matters in order to ultimately gain the trust of the people that you want to work and, and be associated with and become close with. And I think what you've seen from two owners that didn't have to do it is a vulnerability that they, 
showed to players who before maybe couldn't understand them as well. The, and when um, you talk about, yeah, no, when you talk about cycles and everything, that's important too, you know? Yeah, Greg, the, the, the committee doing online stuff with incarcerated youth to motivate them, I mean, that was just like number 16 of the things that I loved in the elongated piece that you wrote at SI.com. Man, I mean, online stuff with the players and stuff with, with incarcerated youth, that, that's terrific. Absolutely, and that's one of Eric's, um, you know, ones he really loves. And, you know, he's done it in Los Angeles. He's done it in Minneapolis. And, you know, the idea there is to just really connect with the youth that are that are there to be able to, you know, have kind of a normal conversation, to show them there is a path forward, you know, in part by talking about their own past, but also by showing them what they did or what people they knew did, you know, in order to, you know, get out of those circumstances. And so... Yeah, that, that, I think that's another cool thing. There's, there's a million different organizations. They are spread across so many different causes. I believe 19 different organizations got grants from the 1 million the players were allowed to disperse. And so you start to see the spreading, you know, different tentacles everywhere and things like these juvenile detention centers that are close to the players' hearts. Now, um, I love that Kendricks and Andre Patterson and the Viking Social Justice Committee see the impact of slow-rolling, quote, chain reaction, end quote. Uh, I thought that was very important in the piece, the the slow-rolling nature of, of chain reaction, because so, so many, including Kendricks, are going to want to, ah, snap, and, like, you know, things are just done and fixed, and it's not like that. Uh, you know, the, those breadcrumbs, as I mentioned earlier, they lead to loaves, and the chain reaction has to happen, right? A hundred percent. And I think what you're what you've seen like in previous years is like just sort of the beginning of the change. An acknowledgement that something is wrong, a desire to want to change it, and a discussion of the issues. And I think what you've seen this season is more more concrete stuff, you know, voter registration drives, um, being able to endow a scholarship in George Floyd's name, all the different organizations that have been partnered with the depth of those relationships. And then I think what you're going to see moving forward is, you know, the, the following of those breadcrumbs and the expansion, you know, like deepening of the partnerships, making it, you know, maximizing efficiency and value, uh, you know, potentially, you know, having a bigger monetary impact with all these organizations. And, you know, I think it'll ultimately build on itself. So the hardest part is just, you know, getting it moving, acknowledging that these things exist, that they need to be worked toward, and the best part is to see, you know, some of it move forward on. And I think, you know, when you look at what the WNBA has done this season, what, you know, LeBron James and the NBA players have done this season, you don't have to go very far to see the Milwaukee Bucks and the impact they had. I mean, you're seeing this all throughout sports. And I think what attracted me to this story in particular is it, it just seems like the Vikings have, have gotten a little bit um, of a unique situation in terms of the totality. And I think – they can really be a leader in this regard moving forward. Lastly, Greg, thanks for the time. You know, I'm 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 curious to see when the season ends and players can breathe. What's next? Because and there's just so much that goes in, as you know, to to playing week in and week out. So, like, do you believe there's a ton of this being done by those with followings? Because you wouldn't want to be the individual who is just loud on social media and not actually organizing things to better those in need. Do, do, do you truly believe in your heart, whether it's the Vikings and, and the Social Justice Committee, or just people in general? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I would like to think that we're going to see this just get better and better, that there will be more and more involvement, more and more donations, more and more 
partnerships, you know, I, but I do think it's worth keeping an eye on. I mean, one thing that Eric and I talked a lot about is how there's an incident and then there's outrage and then there's, you know, everybody's really into it for a little while and then people tend to fade away. I mean, everybody's busy, you got life, kids, you know, uh, holidays, like do people continue to follow through? You know, the, I, I believe that Eric Kendricks will continue to follow through for sure. I, I believe the Vikings Social Justice Committee will. But it's worth keeping an eye on because it's, you know, it's one thing to say it. It's another to be able to carve out that time. It's no small amount of time, no small amount of resources. And, you know, I believe that they're all committed. But, you know, definitely worth keeping an eye on moving forward, too. Greg, to you and your family, Team Vaccine, uh, thank you very much for uh, joining the radio show. Excellent, excellent work a linebacker and his team in the year of athlete activism. It's about Eric Kendricks and the Minnesota Vikings and their push to make things better. You can read it at SI.com. Merry Christmas, Greg. Have a wonderful week. Same to you, PA. I always like writing about the Vikings so I can come on your show. It's pretty much the only reason that I do it. So, well, well let's, let's. I mean, last time 2018, so... You know, they fired D. Filippo late in the season. We didn't make the playoffs. Now it's 2020. We're in a pandemic purge. So <laughs> next year when we get all of our players back and Jefferson's in his second year and they vie for the Super Bowl, let's do it again then. That sounds great. I was going to say that's a whole new level of SI jinx, but I guess I owe you guys a good season. Yeah. yeah. See you, bud. <laughs> all right, thanks. Greg Bishop, Sports Illustrated, at Greg Bishop Fan. his beloved BJ, a sight for sore eyes for many, including those in the Love Covenant listening audience, and yours truly, Paul Allen, a sound for sore ears. He is Aaron Gleeman, at Aaron Gleeman via Twitter, and he writes about baseball and uh, covers the Minnesota Twins for The Athletic and TheAthletic.com, and there he is, uh, very a Twitter, maybe even on Twitter that the NBA resumes this year. Yeah, I'm excited. You got Steph Curry coming back against KD and Kyrie. That'll be cool. Yeah. Then you got the champs against Kawhi and Paul George and what they're trying to do with the LA Clippers. It starts there. Your beloved Howl back in action tomorrow. (laughs) Sorry. Against um, (laughs) what? uh, I finger slipped. (laughs) I think... I, I would bet it would be the worst team in the NBA, the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, I mean, they're up there. Yeah, or they, down there, I should say. I mean, in a pandemic purge where nobody's playing defense and everybody's scoring, like, like games are like 128 to 126. Yeah. You know, you, you got Uncle Ed's team rolling up with 90s <laughs> and, like, 93. and Yeah, they're I mean, trying to take that bad boys' uh, 80s, 90s approach to... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
with, might with, not without be, the physicality. They, I don't know. If Blake Griffin is healthy, they might not be horrendous. Right. But they're yeah, the upside there is not real not yeah. real high. And and with Griffin, it's it's forever uh it's every day an injury sweat. Right. Where you might when you lose him, you lose him for size. So not to speak for the Pistons organization, channeling my inner Adrian Dantley. However, I think they're a little nervous about how what they can get out of Blake and for how long for Dwayne Casey. So we get them tomorrow night. Uh, Steph Curry is back after a year away. And if Steph stays healthy and is Steph, now granted no clay, but the skeletal remains of Draymond Green undoubtedly will be joining shortly. You got Kelly Oubre and uh, Andrew Wiggins, etc. You know, if Steph can make all the dances and be Steph, I, I have to consider them a title contender. I mean, in, in just puncher's chance like fashion and good morning. I, I kind of agree in that. I you didn't say good morning. Good morning, Peter. Thank you. Uh, I feel like people are overlooking them. Once the, the Thompson injury happened, people were like, well, that's it. It's going to be another horrible year there. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, everything went wrong for them last year. Every, I mean, Steph, I think he played like five games or something like that. Right. But the the issue, I think, is if he can play 90% of the season and be the old version of Steph, we saw, like, pre-Durant, he can carry things. Right. And I think people are overlooking the fact that Wiseman might be pretty decent for them. If Draymond's, you know, 85% of what he normally was, I just don't, I don't know, title might, because I feel like they're not getting Thompson back. Yeah. They're not, I don't think, in position to really make a trade to add anybody of impact. You're counting on Steph basically going for 30 every night, which he's capable of. Yeah. But you also need Wiseman to be a contributor right away, and you need Andrew Wiggins to do something. And, you know, we, we've sat in these chairs, you and I, for a lot of different years around this time and said, mm-hmm. maybe this is the year Andrew Wiggins becomes something, and it's yet to happen. And I know people are optimistic that, you know, the change in the culture in, in Golden State can make it happen, but... They're not just counting on him to like you know stand in a corner and shoot threes and occasionally drive to the basket. Like he's going to have to do a lot for them because Kelly Oubre is not a guy who's going to funnel the whole offense through. So it's going to be Steph, yeah, and then Wiggins, and then and and but Draymond. Oubre, Oubre might be the second best scorer on that team. He has a chance. Yeah. I mean, oh, he, he is the way that he blew up with uh, with Booker and company yeah. in Phoenix. I mean, I think that is a tremendous addition for them, and I think he even overshadows anything that Wiggins offers them. Yeah, see, what I'm curious to see with Kelly Oubre, and uh, not not to deep dive LFL it too hard, but when he was in Phoenix, he was playing the majority. He was a small. He was a three. Yeah, he would play for. He was forward flexible. Right, and he would take advantage of those mismatches because he's lanky and wiry, and he can shoot, and he's good off the dribble. He's. You know, I'm curious to see if they. If they mix and match Ubre and Wiggins with that two spot, because like if you're going to rely on Ubre to sit out there and like be close to Clay from three, I don't think it can happen. Right. No. It sounds like functioning clank ability to me. And Clay Thompson, I mean, as clutch as he is, ma'am, he is one of the two or three best perimeter defenders in the game. Ubre is Ubre is not. Yes, and they had Thompson a lot of times with guard point guards yes. because they wanted to keep Steph away from that assignment. And yeah. so yeah, Ubre's a decent defender, but he's not as good as Thompson. I also just think their whole 
thing was based on having two of the like ten greatest shooters of all time, Correct. and the way that like warped the entire defense because mm-hmm. you have to chase Thompson and you have to chase Curry no matter where they go all the way to half court. Yeah, Oubre's a decent shooter, and Wiggins, if left alone, he can make shots. But it's the entire defense is going to be so much more like packed in for Curry to try to do his thing. So I'm very curious. I, I do think if Curry's reasonably healthy, I think they make the playoffs. Okay. I just don't think they have the sort of upside to, to make a run. Lakers are favored to win the championship. Mm-hmm. Okay, It's not a paramutual puzzler, and they're heavily favored. They are 5-2, to two, or basically plus 275 yeah. for the Lakers to repeat. Clippers' second choice tied with the Bucks, each 5 and a half to one What do you think, what would you make the Warriors to win the championship? Oh. I mean, it would be a 30 to 1 or something Damn. like that. I mean, just, Nailed yeah. it. because even, okay, the West is going to be tough, which we'll probably talk about, mm-hmm. you know, as it relates to the Wolves trying oh, to sneak yeah. in there. The West, the West is 10 deep, probably, and at least 8 deep in actual good teams. So they're not guaranteed to make the playoffs. And also, like, think of who they would, let's say they win a first round series. They're going to match up against Lakers, Denver, Clippers, mm-hmm. and all at that point, what do they have to sort of help Steph get through that? Because yeah. at that point, you're dealing with two superstar guys. Ain't no doubt. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think they're a big long shot. But in a way, that could be sort of fun late night watching. Because I remember in the early days when Steph won MVP the first time, he would just go nuts every other game. He'd go for 40 and 10 threes, and it was like he had to carry so much. So they might not be a great team. I don't think they will be. Yeah. But just from a watching perspective, it is very fun to watch him basically just take the entire offense and just try to go nuts every night. Ain't um, ain't no value on uh, the Brooklyn Nets, in my opinion. Respect KD, and I think he's going to be great. In fact, I, I don't have the MVP odds in front of me. I'd be curious to see what Durant is uh, because yeah. he's not going to be favored. Um, it might be an 8 or 10 to 1 piece on Durant, who absolutely can win the MVP if he stays in one piece. Then you got Kyrie who misses patches of games, but when he doesn't, he's extremely good. They're six to one. I mean, that's, yeah, that's for too- them to be six to one, it basically is the seven oh two at all being like, we know you you like shiny toys. Right. And and you're gonna bet right. the shiny toys. So guess what? Go ahead and bet it, but we're gonna give you bad odds. Yeah, it's the uh it's the Yankees tax. Bam. Any any bet you place on the Yankees has a little bit stranger odds because they know that the entire country bets on the Yankees. I mean, but part of that too though is the fact that getting out of the East is easier than getting out of the West. True. So any any great team in the East, which in the East, I mean, whether it's it's the Bucks right away, yeah. then it's you know, will the Heat survive and contain that energy yep. and awesomeness that they provided in the bubble. Yeah. And then star power in Brooklyn. So if they have fewer mountains to climb to get out of the East and then provide maybe, you know, less than a coin flip, but at least be in the dance. So yeah. that will certainly weight those odds too. Yeah. If I if I'm gonna bet on K D, I need ten to one or higher. Now the Miami Heat are is fifteen to one. Okay. I can't see the Heat going anywhere. You know, so when I say going anywhere, I mean being different than what they yeah, were last legit. year. Well, they're going to be better. Yeah. Because Bam Adebayo's better. Hero has found his feet, and he's confident. With Tyler Hero, if you watched him during the regular season before the purge shut, shut everything down, Gobert gets bit, Donovan Mitchell punches him, baseball has to stop, and um, and um, uh, Biff Pokorova lost 5,000 shooting dice in Wisconsin. I mean, that was the very early stages of everything. But the the heat, it's a toughness thing, ma'am. It's a toughness thing that Milwaukee does not have until proven otherwise. Right. 
Brooklyn might have, but you got to keep Kyrie healthy. And then all of a sudden, now we're down to Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie and, and Karis Levert, if he's even on the team, yeah. but they don't trade him. DeAndre Jordan playing 18, Jared Allen playing 27. Yeah. They, you know, are 25 trying to block shots. What I'm getting at here, man, is we've seen it with the Heat. Let's not forget the mental tenacity of the Bulldog Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, nothing great regular season, bubble, unbelievable. Duncan Robinson is going to be better. Uh, Kendrick Nunn is going to be better. So fifteen to one to win the title. I mean, odds are fair. I'd put I'd put ten on it. Yeah, that's not. I mean, I would much rather. I think the Heat to win the East again, whatever the odds are for that, is yeah. something I'd I'd look at. I yep. definitely because what you're saying, I think, is right with the Heat, which is that you six know six and a half to one. Yeah, I mean, I think that's not that's not bad. That's, pre- that's pretty good. That's not bad at all. Raptors at eight to one. Pascal Siakam, something's happened. I don't know what the deal is with him. He he was terrible in the bubble. Yeah. Uh, Van Vliet jumped up. Lowry looks fat every time I watch him, right. and he just came back having missed the first two preseason yeah. games. He's also, I think, he's like thirty-five now. So. Right, and and it's it's the the perimeter goes through Van Vliet now, not Lowry, in my opinion. OG and Anubi is sneaky, but Siakam, that's the A topic, man, because it looked Kawhi leaves and Siakam falls off a little. Now, when you had Kawhi, well, of course, Siakam is going to be a dog because Kawhi's getting all the attention. It's right. All that stuff's just fascinating. Yeah, I think especially offensively, they asked them to do a lot. I mean, a lot more ball handling and a lot more sort of initiating. But yeah, I mean, I like I like Miami because, like you said, you know they're going to maximize the talent. Mm-hmm. You know, Spolster can maximize it. You know they're going to make some midseason moves, yep. all that stuff. They'll develop guys. Yep. Great take on Spolster. Whereas with with Brooklyn, like you said, it's a lot of shiny new toys. But how many games are Kyrie and Durant even going to play together? And by the way, we didn't even mention. Steve Nash, as yeah. a coach, I love... I mean, Steve Nash is an amazing basketball mind. Yeah, you're right. He's an incredible player. He seems like a great guy. He's well-respected. We have no idea what he is as a coach, especially yeah. that's a tough job, too, because you've got a lot of egos involved in that. So, yeah. uh, I don't know. I'm very curious to see what they end up with at the end of the season. But, yeah, the East is very winnable, because like you said, the Bucks are going to end up with the, the one seed again, because they added Holiday, they got Giannis, they got Middleton. I mean, they're going to win 70% of their games. Yeah. But they're in a position. I love how they use Brooke Lopez. Just absolutely yeah. love it. But it, they're it's also get you two and a half threes a game and block two a game right. and play eighteen minutes. But also they're just in a spot where no one cares what they do in the regular season now, mm-hmm. because you fail twice in a row as a top seed in the playoffs. It's like, well, that's great. You can get the number one seed, but what does it matter if you're going to lose in the second round right. again? So I think that's where they're at in the East, basically. The con. Oh, I love how you just rattled off Brooke Lopez related intel. <laughs> It's, I, a, it's a deep dive. Well, I was going to make a stupid deep dive joke where the, the A topic in Toronto is not Van Vliet, Lowry, Siakam. It's Aaron Baines and Chris Boucher. Yeah. yeah. That's the A topic. Yeah, Boucher Boucher's interesting. I mean, there there are... The, the way I'm casting my gaze, specifically early in the season, is I am not counting on rookies with, with minimal preseason and no Vegas or yeah. Orlando Summer League. And I'm looking at it apples and orange-ish is like the NFL, where those rookies, specifically the skill guys, took a while to get going with no preseason. Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, Obi Toppin, so and so on. Like Obi Toppin, he played back-to-back games against Uncle Ed. In, in the first game, I mean, he looked like top 35 player in the NBA overall guy. 
second game as bad as I've seen a player play. Right. You know, and and it, it's that's going to happen. It's going to happen with Edwards too. Yeah, I mean, they're also just not used to playing that often. Like you don't have back to backs in college until the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament, all that. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that we're going to talk a lot about the Wolves, I'm sure, but like that's I'm excited to see Edwards, but he's also a 19 year old rookie who played one season in college. A half a season in college, basically, for a bad Georgia team, like you said, got no summer league, got you know three preseason games or whatever. So I mean, even if he's living up to expectations, there are just going to be nights where he's just kind of lost offensively and defensively. So yeah, uh, like I watched uh, Lamelo Ball the other night, and he's making you know YouTube highlights like crazy. He's already an amazing passer and all that. Yeah, did but, he get to play it all overseas? At a all? little, but he wasn't like he wasn't an impact guy in uh, what, yeah. Australia or New Zealand. Australia, yeah. most recently, he, he's backing up Devonte Graham at yeah. this point. But like he's, but kick- he's going to get Rogier's money by February. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously they're going to play him a lot, but like he, he just can't shoot yet, and I don't think he knows what he's doing on defense. Yeah. So there's just going to be tons of ugly nights. Yeah. Same thing with Wiseman. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I, I would bet this is one of the least impactful rookie classes, at least like for the first half of the season. Yes, sir. And um, and in closing. Like I said, instead of instead of hammering on these rookies, because I'm just not expecting much early yeah. because of the pandemic purge, that there are second and third year guys who are incredibly compelling. Like OKC has a couple, one last name Baisley, uh, the other they got this kid named Maladon, um, who was an high end player in Europe. And I don't know what took him so long to get here, or, or like why he's just popping up now. I saw him once in the preseason. Yeah. Holy cow, is he a gifted player? I hadn't heard of him two months ago. Last name Maladon. Khan mentions Boucher. This is a forward center Siakam backup. Sneaky good for the Toronto Raptors. And um and like Jackson Hayes, I think he still plays for New Orleans. Yep. He he's compelling. Yeah, top ten pick list. That that right. There are a lot who on which they were counted last year. Right. A little slow to go, a little in and out. I bet you they jump up a little bit this year. And the I mean the Wolves have a perfect example of that in Culver. Yes. Which is like Culver's the sixth pick. They yeah. trade up, they get him, they hand him a big role, and then people, I, I remember coming in here week after week being like, yeah. he just doesn't look like yeah. Why can't he dribble? Right. There's no skill set that stands yeah. out, and yet you hear he put on a bunch of muscle, he changed yeah. his shooting. And and like Texas Tech National Champions right before our very ears, if you listen to it on the radio, yeah. it, the, the three-point game was elite. Yes. Well, that's the amateur level, man. Trying to get that thing done. The line's backed up A, and B, you're playing men. I mean, his three point game right. was you could never count on it last year. I think that, that, like, he couldn't shoot. I mean, he missed his free throws. He was just out of whack. But I think the biggest thing is what you mentioned, which is he just realized, oh, I'm guarding twos and threes here. Right. And I'm giving up 30 pounds of muscle to every guy here. And they're as fast as me. And so, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I, he's one, to me, he's one of the most intriguing guys of those sort of sophomore. Didn't fail as a rookie, but did not impress as a rookie. Yeah. And, I mean, he's a huge part of the Wolves. And like you said, there's like a handful of guys across the league where it's like, this guy was nothing last year, but there's a chance he could be something this year. And a month from now, that might change the, the dynamic in the whole league. The T-Wolves techie, Aaron Gleeman, at Aaron Gleeman via Twitter. He's in studio. Follow his work at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. I'll do that. Uh, I'll, I'll get into this next segment, but the athletic with like holiday gives and cheer and stuff yep. like that. I mean, it's a great gift to give somebody. I gave five last year. Uh, we'll talk more about that around the corner. Hold on to your butts. I ain't trying to be, um, 
I ain't trying to crack wise here or anything, but do you think the Wolves finish with the worst record in the Western Conference, or <laughs> do you like OKC or San Antonio say. better? See, San Antonio with DeJounte Murray, and they still got Aldrich who can play, and Rudy Gay can play a little bit, and Derek White. I mean, they got some players, but they got pop. You yeah, know? So, they just gave Derek White seventy two million dollars. Yeah. By the way, that the Malik Beasley contract extension that yeah. people were surprised by how big it was, you know, a month ago or whatever, mm-hmm. it looks a lot better because basically mm. all these yeah extensions that just happened wow. in the last three days were four years seventy million. Yeah. I mean, do you look at it the contract they gave Beasley or the breadcrumbs related contract? He's like, yes, I'll take anything now <laughs> until this whole thing's over. Anybody want to give me a dollar? Here I am. I did like I read the. Because I think Krasinski wrote, and they, like he, they delayed sentencing till after the season. Oh, sweet! I'm um, excuse me, I'm sorry, <laughs> but he did. Uh, yeah, and he did plead served. guilty. He yeah. did plead guilty to the. But that's like the the cul-de-sac bid, and yeah, he get, he pled guilty to one aspect, and they dropped like the, oh. the the drug charges. But I just I'm trying to picture like anyone, a normal person with a non-high-profile job. What type of drugs was like pot, bricks, just of marijuana? Bud. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah, bricks. Bricks of bud in the garage. Yes. He just had a fair amount of weed. Yeah, I mean, this a, was not like the hardcore amount, of the hardcore drugs. A fair amount for like the entire city of Plymouth. Ah, That's all he had. But I just, it's I'm, a pandemic purge, man. Yeah, you never know when you're going to leave the house, so you need to have... Well, you're never leaving the house, yeah. so you might as well get a little hallucinogenic. Sometimes <laughs> you got to give ends to your friends, and it feels stupendous. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I just imagine being like to the judge, like, uh, can you just delay my potential jail time till after a certain point in my job? And yep. be like, what are you talking about? I got I, a big article coming out in the spring. Yeah, man, I got a big project coming up for the athletics, so I'll go to jail. But can you wait <laughs> until me and Russo are done working on our big uh, free agency? Oh, oh sure, yeah, they'll do that. So, like OKC, Stephen Adams is now with uh, New Orleans. Yes. You know, you got you got Baisley, but he's under the radar. You got SGA. They got uh, Al Horford, yeah, whatever's Al left Horford, of him. Well, you know, no, I think they're Lou the worst. Dort. Yeah, Lou yeah, Dort. They got Dort. They got, I mean. they We we have to have a yes. better record than Oklahoma City. Who, who, I think we will. Who's their coach? Donovan went to Chicago. Yeah, it's uh, somebody Ooh. I've never heard of. Uh, right. I think they're the worst. Because they're not even, like, if you look at the West, every team, including the Wolves, is actually trying this year. Mm-hmm. They want to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. except for OKC, which is just trying to you know accumulate draft picks, yeah. take on salaries, move salaries, all that stuff. So, I, I mean, I think they'll be the worst. I think San Antonio, I respect Pop, like no, you they're said. They're awful. They're awful, and yeah. I think they're going to get worse, because they're going to realize at some point, why are we playing Aldridge and DeRozan yeah. when they're going to walk anyway? DeRozan, we should play, you know, Derek White and all those. So I think they're going to be pretty bad. I think mm-hmm. Sacramento might be pretty bad. Well, with I mean, if you're looking looking for a form of an MV3, okay, so Aldridge, DeRozan, I'd say DeJounte Murray yeah. before Rudy Gay. or um, So you got those three. Now, Murray can't score, but, I mean, he, you know, he's an oddball across-the-board bid who's, who's very athletic, very yeah. fast. I'd take our MV3 over theirs. Yes. Cat, D'Angelo Russell, and Malik Beasley. I think, like, their depth is probably better. And obviously, Pop is HOF, you know, first ballot. Yep. So versus Ryan Saunders. But yeah, I mean, I think. I think Sacramento's going to be better than the Wolves. You mentioned them. Yeah. I'm trying I mean, to if be Bagley close. is even remotely healthy, right. Whiteside. Yeah. I mean, and, and if you match the Wolves up against Sacramento, Cat versus Whiteside inside feels like a win yeah. for, uh, for Hassan. Yeah. Uh, they get they, they healed. Cat now. Fox play uh, Fox plays tons of tons of games. Fox is great. No, I uh, I well, love they, Cat. Sacramento. Uh, of all the games I watched, the one rookie 
who truly jumped out at me was the Halliburton cat. Yeah. I think Iowa State. Yeah. Oh, Tyrese. Tyrese. Yeah. 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 This Halliburton can play. I mean, and it was, I'm not the, you know, extrapolated to 36 minutes and this. Age. Yeah. I didn't do that. I'm just like watching games and everything. And this Halliburton, he backs up Fox or he backs up guards. He could play. Yeah, I mean, there was some steam leading into the draft that if the Wolves traded down to like six or eight from one, that mm. he might be a guy that they target. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's four or five teams. You know, I, I view OKC as by far the worst. Yeah. And then I think the Wolves are in the mix with the San Antonios and the Sacramentos. And, yeah. Because I think Phoenix is going to rise up, no pun intended, mm-hmm. versus those teams. Yeah. yeah Chris Paul. Pelicans are yeah. going to be a lot better, the Pelicans too. Pelicans are going to, yeah. So, I mean, the, the wolf, but the Wolves benefit by the play-in situation now because you just have to finish top ten now and you're yep. in this playoff mix. Yeah, top ten's doable. Top eight is not doable for the Wolves, but top ten. Yeah, you just have to start beating Sacramento and San so, Antonio and some of those. So we have the skeletal remains of CP3, who can yep. still hit three threes game, get you about eight assists. Yeah, Booker is elite. DeAndre Ayton is. I I never have liked DeAndre as much as everybody. I like him a lot. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't block shots. You know, right. he's not going to hit threes. You know, I'm gleaming raised. So, like, when I hear the Indiana Pacers, with whomever their new coach is, they're shooting 43s a game. Yeah. This Miles Turner's shooting six threes a game, and he's hitting some. Yeah. And he's going to block two and a half a game. Then you got, so, so like, that techie-like approach, what I think they're going to do here with shooting more threes than ever, yeah. I think it's going to impact the defense because, I mean... <laughs> Bad three shooting leads to long rebounds, yes, runouts. which leads to runouts the other way. That's so definitely you true. You just got to be careful the way you do it. But with Phoenix, Aiton, Booker, Paul, this uh, Michael, Michael Bridges, yeah. I like him on the come a little bit. They don't really have a fifth guy in that mix. Like they right. picked up guys like I think they got Etwan Moore from New Orleans in the offseason. It's right. a bunch of like it's a bunch of guys like that that yeah. in in sight a who. Reference in regard. So it's a two-man show there. Final segment, this Talker Tuesday, some more NBA talk with uh, the Timberwolves techie. NBA begins today, a couple of games. Uh, one includes Steph against KD, former teammates battling. That'll be sweet. Champs play after that. T-Wolves debut tomorrow against Uncle Ed's team. Uh, Timberwolves techie with 9 to noon. It's Paul Allen. Final segment today will include us replaying a Vikings Christmas at the end of the show. The fan. I can't wait, I can't wait until tomorrow Hashtag tomorrow might very well be too late Nine to noon mm, Good stuff I can't wait, I can't wait until tomorrow Cause tomorrow mm. could never come Hey T-Wolves games, I mean not just off the what we saw in the preseason, but part of what we saw in the preseason, I said it in the um, second segment, you know, it's pre- it's it's pandemic preseason purge, so A, it's the preseason, we, we're, we're not going to cast blanket judgments, but, you know, what you see can be a snapshot of some things you get in the regular season. Unlike the, the NFL preseason, specifically games one and four, you're getting the best of the best playing at least half the game, or right around half the game, game after game after game. So, Wolves, high-scoring games, right? Yes. I mean, the, these should all be... <laughs> yeah, they're not... Yeah. Take the over. They all, they all should be overwhelming-type games. And, like, I was peeking at some numbers yesterday because I wanted to see what the Bengals were, plus um, upsetting the Steelers. And so I peeked at the NBA. Man, I think I think the total in the, in the Steph-KD game tonight, 
It's like 234. Something like that. Maybe a little higher. Yeah, I believe it. That's a, that's a monstrous over-under line in any game. I mean, yeah, compared to 10 years ago or certainly like the mid-90s, yeah. teams are just playing faster. But also, somewhere along the way, they figured out if we step behind this little line here, ah. the shots are worth 50% more yeah. points. Yeah, the, the, the analytics bits that hit on in the preseason. Yeah. Now, I looked at a lot of it, didn't understand a lot of it, but I can read, you know, uh, like, for instance... There are metrics, obviously you know this, you're the techie, teams in the preseason who shot the most mid-range jumpers. Yeah. Who, from the mid-range. And it's like San Antonio. <laughs> it's all the oldest school, like, <laughs> right? I mean. Um, I, I, don't, I can't remember who it's it was. It's not going to be the Wolves. Uh, yeah, I mean, teams now basically figured out we want to shoot layups, three-pointers, and free throws. Yeah. That's where it's at. And. You know, there's some game theory. I remember because Popovich had the Spurs shooting mid-range last year with mm-hmm. Aldrich and DeRozan. And yeah. his point was, well, if every defense is built now to stop three-pointers, we can get better looks in mid-range, which is fine. But you just have to make such a higher percentage of your you know, 15, 18-footers as opposed to just launching decent looks from three because you know, they're worth 50% more. So, yeah, I mean, I think... The Wolves, they're not going to play any defense. They got like two good defense, two decent defense players on the whole roster. Yeah. They're running, they're gunning, they're shooting. The biggest keys for the season, I think, are keep Cat healthy. Yeah. See what you got in that pick and roll with Russell. See if Edwards flashes huge upside, which I think he he probably will. And then Mm -hmm. we talked about Culver. I think that's an underrated key, too, is is he a bust or can he in year two and then going forward year three and year four – actually be kind of a 3 and D wing or at least a, a D and ball handling wing. And if he can, then I think they're in much better position because they got shooters. They have Cat in the middle. They just need some guys who can play defense and provide a little bit of toughness, whether it's a Kogi, whether it's Culver. But I also, I mean, they don't have anybody to rebound next to Cat or protect the rim next to Cat. So, I mean, they're going to be a turnstile all year. But it will be fun to watch because a bunch of games are going to be like 132, 128 losses, basically. And I'd rather watch that than a 92, 91 loss. Techie Aaron Gleyman, Nordo? Yeah, um, with Rubio, you mentioned guys that can defend. I don't know if there's toughness in the mix. But, you know, Rubio in this mix, there's the emotional element to him of he was here and we love Ricky. And he was also here when the team was not very good. That's a lot of guys. But, you know, anticipating how much time he spends on the court is he relieving D'Angelo Russell? Are they playing side-by-side? Side? I mean, in a, in a game where you, you mentioned where it's going to be a ton of high-scoring losses, and I don't anticipate this team to be very good, I am kind of excited to see how Ricky is implemented into this offense. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to stagger it. So basically, I think even Saunders said this the other day, the goal is to have no minutes played where you're on the court with neither of those guys. So it's basically Russell plays his 33, 35 minutes a game. Rubio plays whatever, but they won't overlap to the point that you're going to have you know McLaughlin running the offense or whatever. But, yeah, your question is basically how, how often are they going to play together? I think you can play them together because Russell could easily play off the ball and be a, a three-point shooter, and then Rubio's got at least a little bit of size and toughness that he could guard a two and have Russell guard the one. So, I mean, I think Rubio's going to play like 25, 30 minutes a game uh, he's not going to win the sick man or anything because he's not going to score enough points. But, I mean, he's one of the best bench players in the league if he ends up staying on the bench. Now, the to pay off the mid-range steam, uh, the mid-range preseason yeah. steam. Okay. Now, you want to move the people meter. You share yeah. either individuals on your own fantasy basketball team yep. or preseason pace leaders or fewest mid-range <laughs> shots per game in the preseason. Yeah. 
I mean, that moves the meter man with three and a half. I mean, you have me interested. Three and a half minutes to go before uh, <laughs> yeah. before the boom, the uh, Vikings Christmas. Um, the teams with the fewest mid-range, mid-range shots per game in the preseason. Okay. Grizzlies. Yeah. The fewest. Grizzlies. Pacers. I told you. Yeah. There, I watched a Pacers game. It must have been seven consecutive trips, three-pointers, just to try to establish what we're going to do. And I'm like, damn, Miles Turner shooting threes. Holy cow. Mm. Uh, Miami Heat, fewest. Jazz, Cavs, Raptors. Now, the most, the most mid-range shots per game in the preseason. Yeah. The Portland Trailblazers at 20. Really? That that was number one in the preseason. Hmm. Yeah, that's Dame and McCollum, and they're both. They in. might not have played that much, though. Maybe right, elite three guys. Man, when uh, I love Portland, that's my go-to late-night watch. Yeah. I love. Port- Although no more Kevin Calabro on the announcing. What he retired. Um, the Nurkic bit got to keep him in one piece. True, he was unbelievable in the bubble. There are reports that um, out of shape into the season. But they added Robert Covington, who I yes. know we both like. I mean, yes. I like Portland. I mean, I they'll definitely Covington make the playoffs. I love Covington on that team. Um, the most uh, mid-range bits, Blazers, Suns, Nets, Spurs, yeah. Magic, and Sixers. Mm, the, how about this? Blocks per 36 in the preseason. Okay? <laughs> okay. Per 36 minutes, extrapolate because you're a techie. Yeah. This Chris Boucher I mentioned. For Toronto, yeah. Yes, I know, and I wanted him in LFL, and I got sniped. 4.7 blocks per 36. <laughs> Mitchell Robinson, three and a half. Durant, three and a half. Kevin Durant huh. had five blocks in 51 preseason minutes. I mean, he is like seven feet tall. But. Um, something called Hartenstein or Stein for Houston, I think, three and a half. Boogie, three and a half. Yeah, man, Valashunas, three. So that's pretty cool. That's uh, some techie type stuff. I love this Toronto Raptors deep dive center talk. After oh, they yeah. lose Ibaka and Gasol, this is, uh, we could become big in Canada this show, I think. Um, okay, one minute. Wolves with uh, the, the 10 now with yeah. uh, the play-in and all that. I mean, they should be part of that play-in, right? Yes. I think they will ultimately fall short, but they'll be in the mix. And also, I'm just, for the first time in a long time, I think there's enough to tune into each night and look forward to and evaluate, whether it's Edwards, whether it's Culver, you want to see Russell and Towns. I'm at least excited that I think it will be a fun product to watch while they, you know, like Nordo said, I don't think, I'm not expecting them to be great or anything. What about Anthony Edwards' expectations? I think he's going to be good. I liked what he looked like in the preseason. I think if he can improve his shooting to at least be decent, I think he has the physicality offensively and defensively. He'll get to the basket. I think he's going to be better than people expect him to be yep. defensively based yep. on the college looks that people got. Mm-hmm. You know, it just depends how good is LaMelo Ball, how good is Weissman. But I think I, I like how he's looked so far. I'm also curious, is he going to play 20 minutes a game or 30 minutes a game? 20 seconds, you get it all. Should, should I not be surprised, A, Lehman is starting at four, and B, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson got cut. I didn't get the... I don't know why I, I you would cut that. Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, RHJ is top three defensive player on this team. Right. I mean, he's one of the few guys, especially big guys, who yes. are going to chase after loose balls and rebound. Uh, I just think they don't know what to do next to Cat at the four. Right. I mean, I think you're going to see some real small lineups with, like, a Kogi at the four or even Culver or something like that. Happy holidays, buddy. See you, Pierre. Aaron Gleeman, I'm Paul Allen. Thanks for listening. Let's close with a Vikings Christmas. Merry Christmas, Vikings fans. You are the best. Here we go. On the first day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the second day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me two block punts by the Lions and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. 
On the third day of Christmas, our Vikings gave to us three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Detroit Lions, and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the fourth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Lions, and a weird disease season in the purge. On the fifth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me five sacks from Ngakwe. Was he even here? Four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Kitties, and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the sixth day of Christmas, our Vikings gave to us just six measly wins. Five crushing home losses. Four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Lions, and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. Come on, JJ! Seventh day of Christmas, our Vikings gave to us seven TDs for JJ, six measly wins, five crushing home losses! Miss you, fans! Four picked by Harry, three sacks by E. Wilson, two block punts by the Kitties, and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the eighth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me Eight home games over the total, seven TDs for JJ, six measly wins, five sacks from Ngakwe, four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Lions, and a topsy-turvy season in the purge. On the ninth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me nine rubes drunk dialing fan line, eight home games over the total, Seven TDs for JJ! Six measly wins! Five crushing home losses! Four picks by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts by the Lions, and a topsy-turvy disease season 2020. On the tenth day of Christmas, our Vikings gave to us ten missed kicks by Bailey. Nine rubes drunk dialing fan line. Eight home games over the total. Seven touchdown, JJ! Six measly wins. Five sacks from Ngakwe. Still leads the team. Four picks by the Hitman. Three sacks by Wilson. Two blocked punts by the Lions. And a weird 2020 in the purge. On the 11th day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me just 11 games from Kendricks, 10 missed kicks by Bailey, 9 rubes drunk dialing, Corey Coven, Ron Johnson on fan line, 8 home games over the total, 7 touchdowns for JJ, 6 measly wins, 5 crushing home losses, it's a mausoleum in there, 4 picks by Harry, 3 sacks by Wilson, 2 unacceptable block punts by the Lions, what a topsy-turvy season in the purge, let's wrap it up now. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my Vikings gave to me twelve red zone TDs from Thielen, just eleven games from Kendricks, ten missed kicks by Dan Bailey, nine rubes drunk dialing fan line, eight home games soaring over the total, seven TDs for the best rookie receiver in the NFL, six measly wins, five sacks from Ngakwe. What are we doing with the unique? 
Six by Harry, three sacks by Wilson, two block punts in the Lions game, and a topsy-turvy weird season in the pandemic purge. Merry Christmas, Vikings fans. We love you. If it's good news or money, leave a message. Podcast today's Paul Allen Show. Or listen back to previous show and interviews by going to the iHeartRadio app or KFAN.com.